welcome to another episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Katie. I'm Alan. And we're still married. This is our second part of the interview with Matt and Laura, and I think you're all going to really like it. It includes them talking about the transition out. It talks about how they told their missionary son, and just packed full of lots of really good information. They leaned into each other really hard in their darkest moments, and I, I thought that was my favorite part of the interview. But... This is known as a teaser, so have a good time listening to that. Before we get there, we do have a couple of announcements. On November 14th, that is a Sunday, November 14th, we are speaking at Thrive in Salt Lake City. They, they expect to have about 2,000 people there, which is crazy. We're going to have a booth with a table. I think they're even printing like a banner or something. That's right. We're big time. There will be a three-by-five table <laughs> In the Salt Palace. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we've spoken with the coordinators of the event, and uh, they're really trying to make this a, uh, a place where folks in a mixed-faith marriage could, could feel comfortable. We, we can guarantee y'all that our 15 minutes, which is what we've been uh, given, they're actually giving everyone 15 minutes, which is kind of crazy. Um, I think it's great. It gives you a nice, compact time to, to present. Uh, ours is going to be safe for everyone to hear. So if you'd like to go to Thrive, we'd love to see you there. If you do go, please come and say hello. We would love to, to meet. And the, really, the goal of Thrive is to make it semi-safe for anyone that comes. And really, they want to foster a place of healing. So if you would like to come, we'd love to see you. We don't know where we'll be in the lineup, but once we have that information, we will let you know. The other announcement is the women's retreat. I'm so excited. This has been something that I'm so excited to work on. I have been had like just so many ideas and I think it's going to be great. It is going to be Saturday, January 29th. And the idea really is that Friday night, the 28th, we'll have a super informal break the ice type activities so you can come and meet people and connect. And then Saturday will be the bulk of the retreat. And we have some great things planned. Uh, we will let you know as soon as we get the information pricing and line up all together on a flyer for you. And we will limit and cap the retreat because we don't have like infinite amounts of spots, but I'm excited. I think it'll be really fun. Uh, boys, that same weekend, we will all be meeting on Xbox Live to have a men's <laughs> retreat. So we'll see you. No, we're going to go old school. You're going to do like um, World of Warcraft. Everyone bring your computers to my house. <laughs> and we're going to have, have a land party. We're going to have a land party. Oh, that would actually be super funny. Uh, anyway, but hopefully this is a good chance for you men to support your wives in being able to connect and really the theme of this entire um, retreat is connection and healing. This is for anyone in a mixed faith relationship and this is for anyone who um, is either physically and mentally out, actively Mormon, um, nuanced. We would like to just hold space for everybody there. We don't want to segregate. So we're excited to see and meet you all. That's right. Uh, we would love to ask y'all a question before we hand it over to Matt and Laura for the interview. The question is, have you benefited from marriage on a tightrope? And the second question, have you donated to marriage on a tightrope? <laughs> uh, those things are obviously synonymous with each other, right? <laughs> they're, of course they're not. But we do appreciate um, all of those who, who have donated to to the cause of mixed faith marriage through marriage on a tightrope. We 
We really do appreciate it, and it helps us uh, continue to spend the time to, to help the couples in need. There are so many couples. We had a, a great meetup last weekend. Uh, about 80 people showed up. We recognized about half of them Yeah, is about what we recognized. Which is super exciting because there's just new people entering the space. And you know why they came? They did not come to hear our survey results. They, they came, came for the community. For the community, exactly. So we want to be able to, to keep being... Um, some of the coordinators of those types of events to connect people so that they can they can meet and get the support that they need in this space. We love meeting new people. It's always bittersweet to to find new people entering the space because it's a difficult space to live in in your marriage. We totally understand that. But we also know, as you'll hear in the interview now, that this is something that is not only possible, but you can thrive in a mixed faith marriage um, with with the right effort and with the right amount of time. And the right tools. Effort, time, and tools, yes. (laughs) All right. Enjoy this episode with Matt and Laura. We would like to welcome everyone back to Marriage on a Tightrope. We are here with the Hunters, and this is part two in the series that we are doing with them. And we are super excited to get back into their story. If you haven't listened to part one, go away. Go listen to part one first. It's compelling. It's wonderful. The background, the the kiddos, all of the good things and all of the hard things and all the fun stuff. If Laura's background is is not LDS. And so it's super fun to to learn about where you came from and uh, how missionary work works in Texas. We were out we were out with some friends the other night and we were like teasing them. We're like, you guys, this interview. You guys are gonna love it. You're gonna love it. So and fun. so we're kind of like telling them a little bit like bits and pieces because it's just so fascinating, especially for those of us who've been in the church our whole lives. And um hearing Laura, you come from a totally different space is just super fun and interesting. So we're gonna dive right back in. We're feeling pretty pressured since the last episode was apparently your very favorite one. I, we're both feeling a little competitive at this oh. point. <laughs> well, we are ready you. to bring our A game. That's I love it. Bring that competitive spirit. It's perfect. You did say last you. episode when you when you set your mind to something, you're all in and you go for it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I don't think we can beat that, but um, they were super awesome to learn from. So they were great. They were great. All right. So we left it off picking up where spiritually you were both uh, just a few years ago and and what the church was to to your suddenly larger family. Yeah. So, I mean, we were kind of, I would say, probably our spiritual peak, you know, in our family. I was young men's president, you know, and then had been called into the bishopric and Laura had served in various callings. And we, you know, we we were one of those families that that did family home evening and um you know, served in leadership positions in the church. And we're at a pretty, yeah, like I said, a good place. Spiritual, spiritually, we were, you know, pretty much at a peak in our family. Yeah, I think so. Not just like callings wise or something. We don't want to like give that impression, but just we were, I would say, although we weren't typical or orthodox, we were definitely all in and living it super fully and doing the best we could with things. And then we had, um, our, we were preparing our son for a mission. So maybe that was part of why too, because he was that we were super kind of intense, I think, with with our scripture time and prayer and family nights. It was just um, really 
devoted, I guess. And we were really trying to help him to feel prepared for that. And so I guess it was last summer that right when COVID was happening and all the changes with the missionary stuff was going on and Isaac, our son was called to serve in the Texas Houston East mission, another tie to Texas. We were, (laughs) my lock screen on my phone is him opening his call and me like screaming and running (laughs) that's a huge surprise Um, it was it was crazy we were both just kind of stunned um I didn't I didn't expect that at all yeah we were getting ready for that which was very stressful and emotional and I think any other missionary moms out there can relate to that the month right before he he was supposed to leave one of our daughters that we adopted I had been really struggling with she's had some you know, they obviously had a really traumatic upbringing and she was the oldest that we adopted of the three that we adopted. So experienced the brunt of all of that. And we were dealing with some really difficult situations and behaviors. And we had some neuropsychological testing done. And honestly, before that, I was, I felt like I was trying to convince every doctor or, you know, therapist that we spoke with that I wasn't crazy, especially the teachers at school, because um, there was just a different presentation at home and at school. And we went ahead and had the neuropsychological testing done. And, um, she, um, was diagnosed with some pretty significant issues. I, I won't get into those specifically, but one is an attachment disorder, which, which makes things really hard in a family. And, um, and also just another couple of psychiatric diagnoses and learning disabilities. While I think we both felt a little validated or vindicated that we weren't crazy, the results were significantly more severe than I had anticipated. And um, I was uh, I was just kind of stunned with what that was going to look like, what her future was going to look like, and how I was going to help her navigate that. And I don't think we talked last time that um, my background is in early childhood and I, um, that's kind of what I do. And so I, uh, I just felt super like, why isn't this working? And everything that I know to do, like I'm trained for this and nothing is working. And that was why. So, (laughs) but then, um, so we were kind of dealing with all that and it sent us into a flurry of okay, we need to go get this kind of testing done and see this doctor and see this specialist for this and get all of these different kinds of testings done for her. And that was right. I was doing just a flurry of those as our son was doing home MTC and then, um, and then left for the mission field in Texas. And so I think we talk a lot about how there's an emotional catalyst sometimes for these sorts of things. And I, I definitely feel like that was it. I was um, I really struggled when he left and I was really struggling to deal with those um, issues that we were having with our, with our little one. And then I would say it was just like a couple of weeks. It was honestly like the week that my son left that I had a friend who was going through some um, church history stuff and was really struggling with it. I tend to be maybe like a little too empathetic. Matt says I make empathy an extreme sport 
Um, (laughs) I just really felt for her. I was sort of stunned at how much she was struggling and I wanted to help. And I kind of just started, you know, discussing those things with her and being kind of a sounding board. And I was really taken aback by a lot of it. And I think that until this happened, I didn't realize how really nuanced I already was like how much just my background had given me kind of my own unique way to Mormon if you want to call it that way um little sunstone shout out but I um I just kind of I I had this way of viewing it already that worked for me and um and and I think y'all mentioned on Carolyn Pearson's episode her book The Ghost of Eternal Polygamy and my friend recommended that to me because it was kind of already the perspective that I had taken with things. And I was like, okay, that seems pretty safe. And I was just, I loved it. I love her. I've read a lot of her work and she's incredible. Um, and I absolutely loved the book and it just gave me this kind of desire to really understand the women who had gone through that experience. So like anyone does, I picked up an 800 page history book. Um, Actually. <laughs> Naturally. Um, and that was, and that was just written by, uh, an actual historian who was an active member of the church, but wasn't, you know, a church historian, if you will. Yeah. That's in sacred loneliness. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Todd Compton. By Todd Compton. Yeah. I read that and I remember I was sitting at my table reading it when we had a friend, family member over to dinner and they kind of asked why I was reading that. And I, said, you know, I just, I just want to understand where they came from. I feel like we always hear the the perspective of the men and I just, I love hearing their stories and I want them to, you know, be remembered, I guess. And, um, and I remember she said to me, you don't need to read anymore. You already know enough. I Sounds just, like a challenge. It did sound like a challenge. And it honestly kind of reminded me of that experience I had in that seminar where the guy was like, whatever you do, don't pray about the book of Mormon and just being like, um, I'll show you. Yeah. Like just kind of, yeah, I, I don't know about that, but just being alarmed that someone else would tell me not to read more. And so, but as I was reading that, I was, I was just like flabbergasted. I, the way that I had nuanced things didn't hold up anymore. And, um, it was like every, every five to 10 pages, I would read something and think, what? I don't, are you serious? And then I would try to like fact check the historian because, you know, (laughs) I, I obviously needed to fact check the historian. Um, but clearly we get, um, some different perspectives from historians. So I did just want to read all kinds of sides of it. And so I was just trying to get information and it wasn't, it was really, I mean, it was this, I think it was just a couple weeks into September after our son left late July that I, uh, realized, oh my goodness, uh, none of this is what I thought it was. And, um, and I had everything brought up something else. And then I had to go look at that. And it was like a new problem would arise every, you know, chapter or something. And so I, was really not in a good place. Unfortunately, then I definitely feel like I was in a pretty significant depression at that point. Mm. Um, I was really 
really, um, it was really hard to send my son out and then to just kind of encounter this right away. And, uh, and then we had the opportunity to actually go see him on his mission. Yeah. Well, Matt, oh, I, yeah. Before, before we get before to that. We get, yeah. Before we get to that, cause I want to go back just a little bit. You're in the bishopric. You have a kid that has significant behavioral changes that you have to address. You have a child that's going on a mission and you have a wife that is seemingly going through some type of faith transition. What are you doing to cope with all of this? How much are you hearing about all of this? Like, where is your mental health at during, during this whole time? Yeah. Like July to September. Yeah. Take us back for you. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when this all started, I knew that, um, I kind of knew what Laura was reading and um, was also in a fairly vulnerable, vulnerable spot, you know, with, with COVID and um, my son leaving and our daughter's diagnoses. And so, yeah, was, was also pretty vulnerable, but was trying to support Laura the best I could. Um, I would send him screenshots as I was reading. Like it wasn't a secret at all. He knew what sure. I was reading. He'd be like, did you know this? And then, um, but I, it took a while before I think you realized how it was really rocking my world, I guess, if you will. And that was kind of when we went to. Right. And, and at the same time, you know, as, as church members, we hear and and we get defensive, you know, about what is it that you're reading and is it published by the Deseret book? And if not, then you shouldn't read, you know, and I, and I didn't go there, but that's automatically where your mind goes, you know, like where, what are your sources? you know is is that really true and and i i learned very quickly that laura was you know careful with all of her sources and um even if it wasn't published by the church that if it's true then it doesn't matter if it was published by Deseret book or right written, or written by an apostle or you know i think to answer the mental health question for him you kind of have to understand his personality and that is that he for every bit of intensity that I am, he is like uber chill. Just he's the yin to my yang <laughs> in every way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I do pretty much ride, um, you know, just as long as everyone's, no one's killing each other. I'm good. You know, you know, I, I spoke, we spoke last time about my family and how um, great they were. I was raised in a great home, but they didn't handle conflict very well the example um i got growing up was you know if there's ever conflict then you just shut down the conversation and you bury it down deep inside (laughs) where it belongs yeah super healthy (laughs) and and you just bury it down on top of all the other stuff down there um where it will just go away right um (laughs) and i do not leave elephants in the room i like pull them out and ride them in front of everyone so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> extremely different style right. for handling conflict yeah. that's been an interesting part of our marriage for the last 21 years yes so yeah <laughs> for sure so so mentally I, I guess to get back to that um i mean i was supportive i was in an, i was in an okay place with my um testimony and my beliefs and uh the more and more um you know that laura would find and dig up i wouldn't necessarily try to justify it but i would 
at least say, yeah, that's, that's disturbing. That's um, not good, <laughs> you know, right, right. for the church to have done that or, or, or for Joseph to have done that, you know. And so, so my beliefs got a little more nuanced through this transition as well. But in the beginning, at least, you know, I was supportive and um, tried to do my best to just let her know that I was here no matter what. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We got that way um, we, when we went to Houston. So Isaac hadn't had the opportunity to go through the temple beforehand because of the COVID closures. And so we flew down to Houston for his first temple experience. And I was in in a really not good spot with everything. It was really an uncomfortable experience for me, but I was so excited to see him. Um, and uh, we, we, that was, a, I took the opportunity on that trip to really kind of talk to Matt about where I was with things and to say, listen, this is really, this is really starting to shake me. Like I am deeply concerned about some of these things and I'm not sure what to do. And we had, we came back, he listened and was like, yeah, well, he was concerned about sources at that time still. And then we kind of made a plan where I was just going to read like my scriptures and conference talks and journal and just try to work through it spiritually and just kind of put the church history stuff down. And we came back and um, I was still really struggling emotionally, I would say. And um, I did have this one really um, amazing experience where I was running on this path by our house and I um, I was just struggling with, you know, if these spiritual experiences weren't true or weren't, what is this? You know, where are you, God? Like, what's going on? You feel so confused because it starts to just make you question everything. And um, yeah, I, I, I won't get into the specifics of it, but I just felt like I had a really strong spiritual experience. I didn't feel like it. I, I did. And I was just kneeling on the path, just sobbing at seven in the morning. And I really felt like God just wrapped his arms around me and was like, I'm here. I'm here. You're okay. And then I just tried to just focus on scriptures and to not read anything else because I clearly was not handling it well. But that I then internalized as I'm not strong enough. I can't handle this. What's wrong with me that I can't deal with this? And it just became this kind of almost like self-loathing that would manifest then in my criticizing my parenting. Um, I had a really, you know, our other kids aren't exactly like a piece of cake either. So <laughs> like a really one particularly difficult child and then um, just everything, I would just beat myself down. And, um, and then anytime... For the, I did that for about five months and in the new year, I kind of set some goals and my, my depression improved some, but I would try to bring up the church stuff with Matt and, um, within a day or two of me trying to have a conversation, he would have a migraine and Matt has like legit migraines, like knock you down for four to eight hours nausea vomiting no light no sounds like um and so I kind of learned pretty quick that I probably needed to not talk to him about it and that was 
we talk about everything. So it was really hard. I felt like I was, I felt like I was alone and like I was keeping something from him at the same time that he needed to know. Um, but also like I needed to protect him from what was going on in my heart and mind. And Matt, is that how you felt as well? That I'd, I, there's a capacity that we have to, to hear things that are difficult (laughs) for us to hear. Is that how you felt as those migraines were correlated here? There was definitely a correlation and it wasn't, obviously wasn't something I was doing on purpose. (laughs) Um, But, but I think it was just a buildup of what does this mean for our family and I, I'm not one really to, like I said, communicate about uncomfortable um, topics, you know. He's an amazing listener. Like, he will listen and validate me, but giving back wasn't something that we were doing a lot of at that time. Right. And I'm, I'm the type of personality where I, I need to, like, think about things and digest them before I can come up with a decision or um, solution, you know? And so whenever something else would come up, um, I would take that and think about it and pray about it, study and um, have a migraine. (laughs) 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 And throw it up in the toilet and then go on my way. Um, that, 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 it just, that's, that's so similar to so many people. And I don't know if it's, more so in men, because Alan went through the same thing. He pushed a lot of the feelings down and all of a sudden he had like panic attacks and he never, never had panic attacks. And so a lot of those things, like feelings we push down will come up um, and will manifest physically in your body, no matter where, where it is. So I think that that is super common. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, Laura was also showing signs of wear and tear sure on her butt i mean she lost like what 20 pounds 25 25 pounds over this time and she's already um not overweight at all so it was i mean it was wearing on both of us um i think we were trying to just you know work through it on our own and and with the help of um god and we were just trying to work it through but probably not doing it the most healthy March I said okay I every time I try to talk to you about this this is what happens and I kind of pointed it out to him and I said I don't want to hurt you but I it's I I have to talk to you about this and um and I feel like he just superman stepped up and was like okay talk to me and um I don't even remember the last time you had a migraine right? Yeah. Was it about then? Like it was about then. I think so. And so I think he really just kind of walked right into it and stood with me. And that was shortly before general conference. And then, um, yeah, there was one particular talk that, uh, that sent me back in the rabbit hole, if you will. Um, you can so, probably mention it. I can mention it. Which session was this? This was April? Sunday morning. It was it ruffled a lot of feathers. So oh, this this past conference last weekend? So no no. So this April. was 
April. 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 Yeah, we know we know what you're talking about. Yeah, it was yeah, it was the talk on Sunday morning, and we don't have to get into it too much. But I was really hurt. I was deeply hurt by um, what was said in that talk, and really felt like what I had been doing for the last six months was blaming myself, and that that talk did that further and took no accountability. And I was like, okay, I am just gonna figure this out. I'm. It's not working. Just reading my scriptures and praying and reading conference talks and. Um, and so I just, you know, talked to Matt and I was like, I'm just going to study this, all of these things that have been concerning me. And I did all these exercises. I had like all these poster boards in our bedroom where I was like writing down, you know, the theology of my youth and the theology of the church now and what my issues were and pros and, um, cons. Pros and cons and like what I, what I believed now and where I stood. And, um, and I just, didn't fit anywhere I felt like and 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 during this whole time I mean we were still fully active in our church and in callings and which was also I think a pretty painful thing for Laura to do because she felt like she was almost like pretending like that everything was okay and then she would come home from church just emotionally drained because she was I don't do pretend. Yeah, she's a genuine person. And so it was hard for her. Um, Isn't that interesting, right? There's, I have a friend who timeline is very similar to me, but he's still pretending. And nobody knows that he doesn't believe yet. It's totally fine for him. Doesn't cause him a lot of mental anguish. And like day one, week one for me was raising hand in gospel doctrine. And I don't think so. And wait a minute and hold on a second. And it's just completely different for, for different people. Yeah. I think that's so true. It's really fascinating how your just kind of personality and upbringing can really kind of affect that. But yeah, I'm just a kind of what you see is what you get kind of person. So um, then I think I could have stayed at a low burn simmer for a long time but then our stake president called me in to meet with him and I was like how many times did I ask you did you say something to him what did you say to him like I was like super worried that Matt had said something and I was not ready for people to know that I was struggling and um and I had not I had not said anything for the record (laughs) it's literally on the record the recording (laughs) He did not say anything. Um, and um, he asked me to speak in state conference about um, how our family was doing the Doctrine and Covenants, come follow me. And yeah, we weren't doing that. So <laughs> we were reading scriptures regularly, but I was going to be a short talk, state president. Yeah. yeah. And I was not emotionally prepared to answer that question. And I was like a blubbering mess. And I felt so bad for him because he was like, it's okay. I, I will rescind this. And I could tell I'd made him super uncomfortable. And, um, they definitely had not anticipated me saying no because they'd already sent the agenda with my name on it to the member of the 70 who was presiding. And then they had to change it, which then caused the next thing to happen. Right. So the, the, the member of the 70 then asked, you know, what, why the change, you know, just, 
out of curiosity, you know, and then the state president just shortly explained what Laura was going through. Again, we weren't at a point where we were ready to come public with any of this information, but um, the member of the 70 asked if he could speak with us while he was in town that weekend. Well, what does that do to your heart rate? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was super chill. I was totally calm about it. That was about when I started really dropping weight and I was, um, I was not, I was in knots. And, but there was, I really felt like it was beyond repair, but there were also, you know, there's this place where you think maybe he can, um, maybe he can fix it, you know? Yeah, and that was that was my thought as well. As I mean, it couldn't it couldn't hurt anything, right? And so I was sure. all in. I was like, heck yes, you, you don't get that opportunity to go right one, one with a general authority very often. And so I think deep down in my heart, you know, in the back of my mind at least, I was this could be good. You know, I don't think it could get worse. I, you know, right. So we went in and met with him. He was very kind. We talked to him for close to two hours, over an hour and a half. And, you know, he kind of um, asked both of our backgrounds and both of like kind of our positions with things. And I had reached an issue that for me was a deal breaker. He kind of just sort of doubled down on that. Yeah, I actually, um, I actually wrote something that is like, it takes about five minutes to read that kind of it's an analogy that describes that experience without me having to get into the issues, which I think might be helpful. Is that okay if I read that? Absolutely. Sure. Okay. It's a little cheesy, but it helped me. So <laughs> great. Um, I recently heard a um, biblical scholar talk about the analogy of a worldview or a paradigm being like swimming in a fishbowl without realizing you were inside of glass and viewing everything from that perspective. I would say that in my first faith crisis, I grew up in a fishbowl that I loved, but I experienced grief and emotional turmoil within my bowl that then led me to noticing the glass in my fishbowl. I frequently noticed other fishbowls, but there was always a reason that their fishbowl was wrong and their water wasn't sweet enough. I looked around and saw some people I loved in another fishbowl nearby. My family and friends warned me, that fishbowl is dangerous. It's not even a real bowl. The water there isn't real water. You will die there. But my friends were so happy in the other bowl. They loved God and they lived in a manner of kindness and love in their bowl. I swam deeper into my own bowl and tried to understand why it was the best bowl. But I found things that worried me. I found things that made God seem cruel and punitive and the bowl became murky and confusing. I started to wonder if the other fish were telling me the truth about the other fish bowls nearby. I then noticed a big, beautiful, and shiny pebble in the other fish bowl. I was drawn to it, and I knew I had to act. I jumped from my fish bowl to the new bowl. I was terrified, and it was different. It smelled strange, and the fish spoke differently, and the pebbles at the bottom of the bowl were different colors. But the water was clear and fresh, and I swam with all my might toward the big, shiny pebble and tried to ignore the other parts of the bowl that were disconcerting or strange. I made the bowl my home. My friends and family stared at me from the first bowl, tisking and shaking their heads. I tried to show them how happy I was in my new bowl. I even sometimes asked them to join me in my bowl. I felt shame when they shook their heads and wagged their fins at me. 
So even when my new bowl felt scary or confusing or too small, I called to them and told my family how much I loved my new bowl. I swam for many years in the new bowl and it became my home. And then one day I was swimming and I noticed a crack. I had seen fissures before, but this was a crack. I swam to it, trying to find the source, but it continued cracking and water gushed out, oozing pain from every crack. Shards of glass floated through the water, slicing my fins. I swam around desperately, trying to patch the cracks and avoid the shards of glass, but every patch seemed to create new cracks. I swam frantically, looking for another fish to help me repair the cracks, and the older fish who had always been so trustworthy and helpful said, what cracks? They looked at me as if the fishbowl was the only fishbowl, and it was beautiful and perfect. They saw no cracks. And when I tried to reveal to them the cracks, they swam the other way and looked at me as if some, as if I was some sort of dangerous specimen of predatory fish. Some of the other fish even looked at me as though I had two tails and said, what glass? A few were angry at me for pointing out the cracks. They said it was my fault for looking for cracks instead of just enjoying the water in our perfect bowl. But I wasn't looking for cracks. I was just trying to understand the glass and why it's there. They told me I knew enough about the glass already. They wanted me to pretend the cracks weren't even there. They wanted me to hang seaweed curtains over the cracks and only look at the flowing, beautiful curtains. There, these curtains will cover the cracks. I tried to focus on the water in the bowl. I still loved the water here. Meanwhile, I swam frantically. How could they not see? The water must be draining rapidly through these cracks, and soon we wouldn't be able to breathe. Another bigger, kind fish directed me to one of the big fish. I was skeptical, but so honored that a big fish would even take time to swim with me. Surely he would help. He could fix the cracks. But he looked me in the eyes and told me that God put the cracks in the bowl. He told me that he speaks for God as his special servant and the cracks are blessings. The cracks are the way to know God. He said the cracks show him how strong and right the bowl is and that I needed to pray so that I could feel comfortable with the cracks. They must be from God because they were part of the one and only true fishbowl. If you really love God, you'll stay in this fishbowl. It's where God's water is. It's safe here. He looked at me with kind, unblinking fish eyes, and I heard the crack expand rapidly. And just like that, the fishbowl exploded. The glass shattered and fell to the sandy bottom. Its sharp edges sliced me, and I lay at the bottom of the fishbowl, bleeding, shivering, and gasping for oxygen, waiting to die like any fish out of water. But after many days, I opened my eyes and realized that I had not died. I was somehow still breathing. But wait, the bowl had shattered. Why wasn't the water gone? I peered around me and felt water flowing through my gills. There was water everywhere. As far as the eye could see, there was a deep blue abyss of water. I swam and swam and exulted in the flow of the salty water over my gills. I was in the ocean. It was dark. There were no bowls, no divisions, just an endless sea of water. As a bird cannot exhaust the air in the sky, nor a fish exhaust the water in the sea, neither can we exhaust the grace of God. That's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I broke that night after we met with him, and it was just totally over. And I know that's kind of like, maybe it's just my early childhood, like, tell a story to relate your experience. But um, the thing was, that the bowl didn't break for Matt, but when I was, um, I can't remember ever crying that hard. And he just held me and said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. You're okay. I'm not going anywhere. And I was like scream crying. It was the most painful thing. 
for me to realize that it it was over. It was irreparable. It was I couldn't I couldn't do it. And I think that as hard as it was for him to look at the information and see it differently than I did, um, he did an amazing job of just kind of. I think it would have been really easy for him to say, you're crazy. Like, why are you reacting this way? Because he couldn't see what I was seeing and it didn't feel the way that it felt for him. Because you never overreact about anything. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get too far away from you reading that, thank you for reading it. Thank you for just sitting in that pain for a moment with us. So thank you. For sharing that it gives a really good visual for those people who don't understand what it's like because i think that a lot of people will say oh well my shelf crashed or but that's a very visual way of feeling those feelings of of belonging and excitement and then being in a new place and being happy and then why that doesn't work any longer and i think that that helps people who are still in help to feel, you know, some of that sympathy for what you were going through. I I like the thought of, well, it's a heartbreaking moment of Matt holding you, but Matt, I, I kudos to you because it's so easy to get defensive to not only personally, but defensive about the, the church and the beliefs that you, that you hold so close and you believed her, you believed that this was extremely painful and you didn't deny her that it seems. Right. Right. I didn't. And I think that, I think that deep down in her mind also that, I mean, she had heard in a lot of her studies and anecdotes, you know, that she, she's heard from other members of the church that went through similar things that I might have heard. I think that was always a fear kind of going through this. That was a, my dad left. So that was a yeah. fear of my yeah. <laughs> Like I, yeah, that's just a, and this just made that seem like yeah. I, yeah. I wasn't who he'd married anymore. I wasn't the one that, you know, would he have chosen me still? And um, yeah, it was terrifying. And literally the week after that meeting, I found your father. Hmm. and um i remember i was walking through the grocery store and i had sent girl as we go to matt and i was like can this be our new song and we were still listening to the episode in the beginning and he had gone ahead and listened to the most recent one and he texted me and was like crying and said that's their new song (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, I was standing in the spice aisle crying. <laughs> um, but just, I think that was a game changer um, because I don't, I think we both were totally committed to one another, but had no idea how it would work. Those first few days were really frightening after that, I think. And so finding your podcast and just, hearing you tell your story with so many similarities and y'all meeting on your mission and just other couples. Um, and I 
think Matt was worried I was pushing something on him. I was. <laughs> I was she was like, you need to listen to this podcast early on. And I was like, oh, great. Here we go. Oh, here you know? we go again. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, this is us. Yeah, this is us. <laughs> um, and so I, we did find a lot of strength just being re- being able to relate to to y'all and others like you said um that was kind of a turning point when she realized when we both realized that we were in this for the long haul and we weren't going anywhere and then when we started finding more healthy ways to deal with it uh we made many of the early mistakes that y'all made i think <laughs> yeah for example yeah <laughs> There's a very stony, stony silence from him when I tried to get him to read something. And I just was like, I don't know how to do this if we aren't on the same page. Like, I don't know how this will work. Yeah, that was before we found the podcast. And I just remember, like, the strain radiating from him. I'm <laughs> thinking, okay, I can't do that again. But also, um, then my anxiety kind of kicked in and I was... I really was going through a lot of like, I would go to sleep and think it would just be easier if I didn't wake up and I had a few just like scream crying drives that were probably not safe. <laughs> just like, I can't, I don't know how to do this and I don't know, you know, what we're going to do. And, um, and that didn't go away. Like we didn't find your podcast and then all of a sudden my anxiety went away and I stopped having scream cry drives and um <laughs> and we all of a sudden believed the same again. But we definitely started to learn better ways to talk to each other and um it's still hard for Matt to talk about. Like I have to bring it up. But he also is the one who saw how much it was hurting me to be not myself and to be inauthentic and is every step of the way was the one that was like okay let's talk to the kids okay let's talk to my family okay we gotta talk to Isaac I think you need this that a few different times that made him sad that I would do something for his sake like he just that it made him sad that I wasn't living authentically and that meant everything to me that he wanted me to be who I was even if yeah one of um in this I remember one thing that stuck out and I I, I know it's been brought up on your podcast before um of wearing wearing the garments she was she was wearing her garments for my sake Mm. once I realized that I was like don't wear the garments like why why would you do that for me you know and that was one of the moments that was like, you need to not, you need to stop doing things for my sake or to protect me. Um, because it was, it was just tearing her up inside. And I didn't want her to act differently, you know, for my sake or to protect my feelings. Um, and there was just several little moments like that, that I would have to remind her that we'll, we'll be okay. We'll get through this, you know, um, and I'll support you. Uh, and then as hard as it was, also we, one of the early lessons we learned that I at least learned after finding your podcast was that how, how crucial communication was. 
Mm. And again, not one of my strong suit, suits. You're like, so, dang it, I have to talk now? <laughs> she can't bury it any longer. <laughs> Matt, so, Katie, Katie, Matt. I, I know, Matt, <laughs> dude, you and I are on the same plane. <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's got to be one in every relationship, right? Um, there should be. There should be, but I'm the one that buries. I think those polar opposites, it's a good match. It's a good match. It is. Yeah. And so, and so I, that, that was another thing that I totally related to Katie about was that as the um, staying member, um, trying to bury those feelings of, you know, pain and, and suffering and, you know, some disappointment in there, I'm sure, you know. Um, so we did make many of the same mistakes that y'all did early on and just hearing, um, y'all story and that we're not alone in this <laughs> and that there is a way for this to work, you know, in the church, there's not, um, resources to help mixed faith marriages, but just to hear from another couple and several couples, you know, as we listen to the podcast, that we're not the only ones going through this and it's completely doable. Matt, let me ask you, and maybe we both can speak to this, but we, it is pretty unbelievable how many people have kids that are on missions when they go through faith transition, either one or both of, of um, the couple how did you decide to approach your son? And maybe you don't have to give specifics, but how are you dealing with that and feeling about it and still supporting him and what he's doing on the mission? Right. Yeah, that was one of the more difficult things that we had been through with this. I was telling him and he took it pretty well, I think, but at the same time, it took, I think, a while for it to sink in, <laughs> what that meant. I'm not sure if he totally still understands still yeah. how, like, how much things will be different when he gets back. But, um, and immediately we went into missionary mode, I think, after we hung up that phone with him, you know, uh, and said, I want to know what it is. What is the issues? Um, yeah, he did. He, um, we both felt really strongly that we needed to tell him. I didn't feel comfortable hiding it. I didn't mm-hmm. feel comfortable waiting for him to get home. And and I felt like things had been hidden from me, frankly, and I wasn't going to perpetuate that. And so I felt like he had a right to know. And I'm not going to lie. Early on, I was like, I am going to get him and I'm bringing him home. <laughs> like, yeah. I, ever, I don't know if I ever even said that out loud, but I definitely thought it a few times. And then I realized that you know he's his own person and he has a right to look at to his own journey and to and he's worked for this experience his whole life and that there that would not benefit him at all for me to impose my views and my perceptions onto him and I do wish that I'd been able to give him more information ahead of time so he we hung up and we encouraged him to talk to his mission president and we knew that he was extremely emotional and we knew it was going to be hard for him to process. And I really liked his mission president and he was very kind and said, yeah, you just message your parents whenever you need to. And, um, 
and was really kind in his interactions with him, but he did also send him a few talks to read, um, one of which was deeply hurtful. And um, yeah, it was extremely difficult when I read that and realized that my son's church leader was giving him this to read about me and where I was and I um I cried pretty hard that night and I said to Matt I'm destined to have someone close to me just think that I've been led away by Satan that's just what my life is like that's who I'm going to be to someone that I love dearly for the rest of my life and um and you know then there was Matt being all reasonable again and like less emotional. <laughs> um, and he sent our son the most amazing email that was just really, I felt like Matt has this really great way of seeing both perspectives. He was, he defended me and said, this isn't appropriate. And this isn't, this doesn't apply to your mom. And I was continued to be taken aback at how at how he was able to be the mediator, I guess, in the situation and be the one to defend me and both support our son at the same time. I felt like. Laura, I can't help but think that we've been, you know, now we're in the two and a half, three hour mark where we've <laughs> talked with you and do you think that one day you'll share this episode with your son? Yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah, I do. Because I think it's a good representation of where you came from, what you went through. And he's likely missed a lot of that. And we've obviously missed a lot of that. This is a pretty brief history for <laughs> for us and for the listeners. But I don't know. I just, I thought of that. I thought, you know, I wonder if you would share it with him in the future, because maybe it would help some understanding. I hope so. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Because it is hard. He, I don't, like we said, I don't think he's fully grasped. He's not here every day and Laura is still supports him. I still support him. And so, um, I think I'll have a little bit of, a um, awakening when he, um, comes home and understands that it wasn't just a temporary phase <laughs> or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, because calls calls with him, you know, we have the weekly calls now, um, which are awesome, but they're still a little hard, I think, for Laura. Um, and not kind of jump in there and say, well, um, did, did you tell him about this? <laughs> to, you know, right? Um, yeah, but it's been. I'm learn. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, something I wanted to ask because it's this is a topic that Katie and I don't talk about on the podcast, and you'll know why when I explain. I wonder if this is the same question I had in my mind. Ooh. Oh my gosh, we should say it at the if same it, time. Uh... No. <laughs> Just kidding. I'll go first. Okay, you go first. I'll go, go, ahead. I'll go first. <laughs> uh, I wanted to know, because you mentioned a little bit earlier, um, God's involvement. This is, is exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> God's involvement in in this journey. So like, 
Laura and Matt, how how have you involved God in working through mixed faith marriage? And has that been difficult? I mean, do you pray differently now? I, let me, I'll just leave it at the first question and no other leading questions. Like how have you, how have you involved God and how has that helped? Cause I think that there's couples out there that could, could benefit from that message that I'm not giving them. <laughs> so, Oh, okay. I have a follow-up question after this, cause we're on the same plane as far slightly as questions, different. slightly different. Go okay. ahead. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's been amazing that Laura has had that, um, foundation of, uh, Christ. I mean, well before I even knew her, um, we, we quickly came to the realization that, I mean, we believe in 90% of the same gospel, um, and have now decided that that is, that 90% is what we're going to focus on. Um, in teaching our kids. So it's not going to be a, a family night of, uh, dad believes this. So he's going to read one verse out of the Book of Mormon. And then mom is going to read <laughs> something out of the New Testament. And then you guys decide what you want to decide. You know, we decided not to do that, but we're going to focus on the 90% of the gospel that we both believe in. Yeah. And that's what our gospel learning has been. I do feel, yeah, absolutely. We, we still read scriptures together. We're reading the New Testament very slowly. Um, (laughs) but, um, and we do family nights. Just, I, I think we kind of came together with some shared values, even before we took your course and kind of like just discussed things that we had in common. And then that really helped us to expand on it when we took your marriage on a tightrope course a couple weeks ago. And, um, I do very much still believe in God. Um, that's changed a lot, uh, even just my perspective of him, but I've, I've come to understand and I'm going to butcher a quote, a quote from Brian McLaren, but to doubt your understanding of God is not necessarily to doubt God himself. And, um, I think that's one of the things that I, to go back to my cheesy metaphor i the water exists outside of the bowl and so the there i we we are swimming in the same water it's just um it's the bowl that i struggle with and so i think that when we can see that and that um we can focus on that part of it and that um that it really helps us to just kind of connect on that and we've we we have though had conversations where we sit down and kind of discuss how different things are. There was a lesson a few weeks ago that I was really um, feeling some anxiety over what our kids had heard at church, and um, and we just kind of sat down and said, <laughs> "My conversation was so funny with our girls, just like about the priesthood and um, the temple and kind of where I stood with it and where dad stood with it. And he said, and you know what the beauty of this is you get to choose. And that doesn't mean you have to choose my view. And it doesn't mean you have to choose dad's view. It means you are going to have your own relationship with God and your own journey. And, and you get to study and learn for yourselves. And we think that's going to be really awesome. And our seven, almost eight year old said, why can't moms baptize people? And 
that was a pretty deep thought from that particular little kiddo. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it led to a very funny conversation <laughs> with our kids um, about just differences and how we both kind of use that. And, sorry, we kind of went off on a tangent there. No, no. that wasn't a tangent at all. That was no, perfect. because I, I mean, we've had our, he, she's nine now, nine-year-olds um, say the exact same thing. Why can't mom do it? And, you know, honestly, I've, I've never cared before. And now that, you know, I, I don't have a husband that's believes in God, nor does he, is he active in the church. Now it's like, Oh yeah, it would kind of be nice if I could, right? Um, it's it's just it's such a different paradigm once you're in this in this spot. I okay, this is my comment, and I don't know. Maybe we'll cut it out. Who knows? But um, it's 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 interesting to me, and I would be curious to see how many people else are like this that you still hold on to God and Christ despite the departure of the church, because I I know a, a good many who grew up in the church who only knew one way of looking at God. Right. And once they leave the church, like Alan has done, it's, it's all or nothing for some people. And it's about half. Half, half half remain labeling themselves as Christian and half are either agnostic or atheist. And that's hard. That's, sim- that's, that's hard simplifying the, the statistic, but that's about what it is. That's really hard for me because I told him in the beginning that if I would, didn't care if he didn't believe in the church, but I still wanted the foundation of like God and Jesus Christ just for it to be easier. <laughs> I mean, and for us to be on the same page and it, and it wasn't, and I can't help but think like, Laura, your experience with the divine was so different, even coming into the LDS church that you're saying now leaving the LDS church, it's your ideas of God have changed as well, but you're still holding space for it. Yeah. Um, I can talk about that just a little bit. I, um, I struggled that first, that, that experience I mentioned when I was on the path, I really was trying to figure out like why, why I had had the spiritual experiences I had that led me to the church. If it wasn't what I thought it was, or if it wasn't true or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase that, you know? And, um, I had some, that, that experience that really was very spiritual to me on the path and another friend that I kind of was speaking with. And for me, I feel like God led me to the church. This was part of my path. Like this is all of this is part of my journey. I don't, I don't think that I just look back at that experience and I don't think he was saying the book of Mormon is true, which is what everyone wants that experience to mean. I think he was leading me where I needed to be. And I think I needed the church in my life during that time. And I think that I needed Matt. (laughs) I do. Like I still 100% believe that God brought us together. And, um, and I, I just, I think he's got a path for me that is different and that's been hard to accept and to understand. And 
but I see now like when he led us to adopt the girls too, like that has been amazing and miraculous. And I cannot imagine my life without those three little girls, but it is hard. Like when you bring kids from trauma into your home who have been broken, brokenness comes into your home. Like it, and it's trauma spills out all over my older kids and us. And, um, and so do I look back and think, okay, did God not really mean that when I had that spiritual experience? Um, or why did he, I have said so many times, why did God think that I could raise six children? I have said that to him in a very angry voice, frankly, like, what were you doing? Why is this happening? I can't do this. Um, cause it's hard. And I've kind of started to just frame it that way that this experience is kind of like that for me. It's part of the church was part of my path. And I think I needed the structure at that time. But to me, God is the water. Um, in my metaphor, he's everywhere. And I don't believe that Matt has any greater access to him in the church than I do where I am now. And I also think that if Matt had jumped right away and started leading stuff and said, fine, this isn't true. I think I would have jumped right back into my first fishbowl. I do. I think I would have jumped right back in there and I would have become an angry ex-Mormon, you know, <laughs> instead of what I hope that we are, which I really hope is bridge builders. I really hope that we are people who can say every bowl, God's in all the bowls. Like your bowl isn't better than someone else's bowl. and the ocean isn't worse than your bowl. It's, it's just a different way of experiencing God and his love for us. And it's everywhere and it's for everyone and it's not exclusionary. And, um, yeah. So in, in that way, I'm grateful that he didn't do what I wanted him to do back in the spring. Cause I think I would probably be in a really angry, bitter place and still in a, place of otherizing people in a religious warfare, if you will, of just saying this is the right way. And do you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I appreciate you diving into that. And I know that there are listeners who are like angry, more angry, angry ex-Mormons that are like, wait, <laughs> I'm not angry. But I mean, I think, in, in, and, we, and we, I mean, sorry to interrupt you, Katie. We, we talk about anger and and the the role that it plays especially it does it does play a role really angry right yes for sure sure (laughs) yes but i do appreciate you going into that because you know i i i I, it's rare that we get someone who has transitioned out that has still some some very strong convictions about um about God. And, and I, it's actually really refreshing. So thank you for at least um, diving into that, that I think that that will be helpful to some people who hear this and are on the fence, or maybe Alan doesn't believe in God at all anymore. So you keep saying that you have to remind everybody. Well, (laughs) I I just, I just think it's super interesting. Um, I've tried to breathe water. I don't have gills. I'm trying to fit into your analogy. I know, Alan. It's so hard. (laughs) We would love, we would love to, and take as much time as you need to, because I know that time goes very quickly, but we would love to 
give you the opportunity, um, both of you, Matt and Laura, to just talk about any advice you would have to couples who are who are fresh at this. You're fresh at this still. I mean, relatively, we're still fresh at this, right? Yeah. But we'd love to just, any other thoughts that, that you had um, before we go that you wanted to make sure you got across or words of advice for, for couples finding themselves in a difficult spot? We'll start with you, Matt. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think lessons learned. Uh, looking back, it would have been extremely helpful to communicate better early on, even when those discussions may get um, angry and heated and, and you sleep in different rooms or whatever, you know, um, I think you get it out there, um, share your feeling, feelings. And um, one of the things that I caught myself doing early on is, I think it's a, a Mormon culture, more of a Mormon culture thing of you have to put any doubt outside out of your mind. Um, only study church approved works. You know, the doubters are this group of people, um, that you want to avoid, you know, at all costs, which is hard when it's your spouse. Um, <laughs> uh, so just put that out of your mind. I mean, the earlier I would have done that would have, would have just been a lot healthier for, for both of us and don't feed into the, Again, I think the church culture of, of how they paint doubters or those that are transitioning or struggling with a, with a faith crisis, um, were probably my big takeaways. Yeah. Gosh, I don't know what I could tell people <laughs> that would be helpful to them, um, specifically, but, um, I think just trusting your spouse and in the goodness of your spouse and, um, and instead of the culture necessarily around you, whatever that might be, trust the person that you fell in love with, and um, and that and that that love is, is stronger than the culture around you, I guess. And then one of the things that um, that y'all shared early on in episodes was um, the letter that you wrote to Katie, just kind of telling her what you still felt and what you still had in common. And I actually had started something similar when I listened to that episode. And I feel like that really turned a corner for us when I wrote down kind of, I know that all we can see right now is all the differences and all the things that, that we don't share or viewpoints that we don't share anymore. But I think it was really helpful for him to see in writing what I do still hold on to and what um and what I still believe in. And some of that has even nuanced since then, but I still um I think just being able to connect and find that common ground was super helpful. And so um I'm grateful for y'all's example in that respect for sure. I think another thing too just came to my mind was um I think we held on to it together for longer than we had to and kind of suffered through it. Um, I think getting out there to people that can support you, um, there will be people that don't. <laughs> and so um, avoid them. 
we did win the 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 lottery with our leadership, our church leadership. Um, both our stake president and our bishop have just been really great in supporting us. Um, and so I think tell the kids, help them be part of the journey with you, you know, and find support groups that can help you because you're not not alone in it. It won't be easy, but it's it's doable. It won't be easy, but it's doable. The title of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect way to end. That's right. There's, there's the tagline. I, I will add one quick thing, and that is that you kind of talked early on about how much closer you were through this. And I think I was a little skeptical of that. But um, I would say that um, our intimacy is very high, and we have grown so much closer together I think that um I am more certain of him than ever and uh and that is really comforting and there are there are benefits to this type of struggle we definitely it pushed us closer together and in some ways and in some ways we had to choose that you know um, to choose to move toward each other, even when it was hard or uncomfortable. And that just manifested throughout this entire episode, you guys choosing each other. So thank you so much for being here. I'm going to say this is my new favorite episode. I just, I loved it. It was so good. I mean, I, I hope that everybody takes the time to listen on two point speed or whatever to get through both of these, both of these, because part one was so compelling and part two really brings it all together. And thank you for being brave for volunteering to do this. This is not easy to put yourself out there. And I know after this, you'll be like, Oh my gosh, what did we just do now? Anyone can go listen to this, but Hopefully, um, it'll be something that you can share in the future. Matt and Laura, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you both so much. When it's done, we're going to see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't want to leave, because if change is what you need, you can change right next to me. And I can flow We'll take it slow And grow as we go Grow as we go Grow as we go